You're listening to Girovagando, the cycling podcast at the 2021 Giro d'Italia, powered by Super Sapiens, energy management for committed athletes and coaches. Today, we are in Ascoli Piceno. Well, I tell you, you've got a lovely white jersey there. Um, in a, one corner of your head, have you thought about changing it to pink today? Yeah, of course. I can say that's my main goal to, for today. Well, Daniel, we opened with the two stories of the day. The stage winner, <coughs> Gino Mader, a little tribute to him there from Dex's Midnight Runners. And we heard from uh, Attila Walter as well, the new pink jersey who you spoke to at the start. We'll hear from him again a bit later yes, on. Yes, the evidence of the, the power of the spoken word. He talked about that in his press conference, didn't he? The fact that, well, just the, the act of uttering those words, the, the pink jersey is my goal, he said, when he told me that in the morning, um, it, he felt he was galvanised so by it. So it's all down to you. Well, there you go. I'm claiming ownership of this pink Is jersey. Is that why you're wearing a pink jersey now? <laughs> <laughs> but, what, um, what are you doing, actually, Daniel? Because you were in the middle of something when we started recording there. I am. Um, I'm just identifying the mountains on the horizon. There'll be more about this later because we were we started off the day in the shadow of an interesting um, range of mountains and mountain um, in, in the... Uh, Marche, we're still in the Marche, and we're looking, Rich, towards the Corno Grande, which is the um, highest point in the Apennines. It's the the Gran Sasso d'Italia. We've been there um, many times over the last few years in the Giro d'Italia, and there's a lot of snow lot on of those snow. mountains. You can barely see them because there's a lot of cloud there as well, and they sort of merge together, don't they? So and Rich, which, hazy in the which distance. Italian region is the Gran Sasso d'Italia? In? And oh. I'm testing your geography because we're going to be talking about geography later. Oh. And how well we know Italian geography. Oh, I don't know. Abruzzo. Oh, I was going to say that because we're on our way to Abruzzo, aren't we? Uh, we'll be in Abruzzo at the weekend. Corno Grande, 2,000, almost 3,000 metres high, that is. Um, wow. Yeah. So are they the Abruzzo Mountains, in effect? Well, they're the Apennines. Right. Well, we'll return to the Abruzzo Mountains later because we've got an episode coming out tomorrow that talks about the Abruzzo Mountains. But more on that. More on that later. The stories of the day really were Gino Mader and Attila Walter, and we'll be hearing from both of them, we hope. Fingers crossed in this episode. We say nervously checking our WhatsApps. Yeah, he's um, he's had a busy day, hasn't he? But we'll be hearing also from uh, James Knox with another very vivid uh, account of, of exactly what happened today. Shall I crack on with the tale should, of the tap? Because we've got lots of cra- to, to cram in yet again. Stage six of the Giro d'Italia, 160 kilometers from Grotte, Grotta di Frassassi to Ascoli Piceno. It got underway in reasonable weather, but our colleague at Sportsa, Arenat Schott, said to me it's going to start raining at 1pm which was very precise and as it turned out very very accurate because it did start raining at 1pm 
A break went away early on with Simone Ravanelli of Androni Giocattoli, Simon Guglielmi of Gruppama FTG, uh, Matti Mohoric and Gino Mader, both of Bahrain Victorious, Jimmy Janssens. Is that correct pronunciation? Because we got a schooling in Dutch and Belgian pronunciations from Hugo We Kovitz have. We've got morning. a complete, a comprehensive guide to Dutch and um, Belgian, well, Flemish pronunciation. Um, we've got every name, the, the name of every rider, Dutch or Belgian rider, in the Giro and how we should be pronouncing Thanks them. for that, Hugo. You said in your message that you listen every night, so appreciate that. Hugo writes for Het Newsblad and he's he's back in Belgium at the moment. Janssens rides for Alps and Phoenix. Dario Cataldo of Movistar was there too. Jeffrey Bouchard of AG2R, AG2R, sorry, and Balcomolema of Trek Segafredo. And they settled into a bit of a rhythm, got a five-minute break. All looked pretty good for them uh, with 100 kilometres left of the stage to go. Balka Molomar Rich today was attempting to become the sixth Dutchman to win stages in all three major tours. Who was the fifth? To add his name to that list. Who was fifth? Very Tom topical. Dumoulin? Tom Dumoulin. Ah, brilliant. Well, they had, they had five minutes. Um before the Forca de Gualdo climb. On that, or sort of re- going over the, the sort of plateau at the top of that, Ineos Grenadiers really took it on. Filippo uh, Ganna, um, they, they're man down. Pavel Sivakov didn't start today. Um, and neither did Joe Dombrowski, who suffered a concussion after his crash yesterday. But Ganna really took it on. And they had seven riders at the front with uh, um, Egan Bernal sitting behind them looking very comfortable. They really ripped it apart. And I mean, didn't do an awful lot of damage. I looked at, at moments that they were doing damage in the crosswinds there too. It was splitting apart. Um, in the end, maybe they didn't do as much damage as they might have done. It was certainly visually impressive, wasn't it? I it mean, was. to draw, uh, and this might sound flippant, and it's definitely not intended to be flippant, but uh, at the foot of that Forca di Gualdo climb is a village called Viso, and Viso was the really the epicenter of the terrible earthquake in Umbria and Le Marche and that region in um, 2016, October 2016. And as there has often been with earthquakes in that region um well there were a lot of aftershocks for months afterwards but there's also been a lot of sort of long-term ramifications i was just reading about it earlier today and about a thousand people lived in viso and a year ago 800 of them were still officially homeless um 90 percent of the buildings in viso are now uninhabitable so the ineos attack there um well it was a bit of a, a, a seismic um, piece of racing, wasn't it? It looked it at the time in terms of shedding. It certainly shed Alessandro De Marchi, didn't it? The pink jersey. Uh, yeah, De Marchi was the big, the big casualty and ended up losing a lot of time. And I think a lot of people thought he might keep the jersey I did. today. I did. Yeah, he's not a, a rival to Bernal overall. And and perhaps well, we'll get onto this. Perhaps there wasn't as much damage done there as there looked. It, it looked like it was going to be one of those Giro days that you get sometimes where. The race really is ripped apart. That didn't quite happen, and we'll hear from James Knox a bit later about how happy they are at the Koenig Quick Step with how the day turned out. At the front, um, some strong riders emerged uh, from that breakaway um, to perhaps stay away for the stage win, although as Ghana continued his onslaught, that that looked in the balance too. But Mader, Cataldo, Molima and Mohoric were the four who emerged at the front. Mohoric did an incredible job of work on behalf of He was like a husky, Mader. wasn't he? He was amazing. Yeah, he rode incredibly. I mean, he's not a climber, and he did as much as he possibly could until the, the foot of the 
climb up to the finish. Behind them, uh, Alberto Bettiol, Giulio Ciccone and Roman Bardet uh, got away from that group um, in the midst of the Ineos onslaught. They slipped away. Bettiol and Ciccone, uh, Bettiol and Bardet, sorry, were, were quite committed to it. Ciccone was sitting on because he had Mollema up the road. Not sure if that was really a sensible tactic, but it was it was a good one in the sense that if Betty Lombardi had made it up there, Ciccone would have been in a pretty strong position to try and win the stage. Can we hear the church bells there? Eight the o'clock bells. In, yeah. the, in the village just over there. Betty all was fuming. He was shouting, he was gesticulating um, at Ciccone, but to, to little effect. And in the end, they were swept up once again by the marauding peloton. Daniel, I'll use that word there. There was a, a terrible incident involving Team Bike Exchange team car. Um, they collided with uh, Peter Seri of the Koenig Quickstep. I mean, they, they, he was drifting back and they just slammed into him. He landed on the bonnet and then pretty heavily on the road. He was he looked badly hurt and, and he was obviously very, very angry. We don't know the full repercussions of that yet, but our colleague Chiro Scognomilio has reported that... Um, Gene Bates, who was driving the car, has been uh, excluded from the race. There's a possibility they'll be down to one team car. We're not quite sure about that yet. And uh, Matt White, who was in the passenger seat because he is on race radio in these races, um, he has been hit with a 2,000 Swiss franc fine. Um, I've been in touch with Matt White and he's not really able to comment, which suggests that they are maybe appealing that or that it's an ongoing process. But not a great incident for the race, for that, for that team, Luke, is it? Hot off the press, Rich. You mentioned Ciccone and Betiol and the spot of handbags um, when they were together briefly. Um, we've got a quote here from Judo Ciccone. He said tonight, My only regret is the tactical error on the descent of the Forca di Presta when I followed Betiol and I wasted too much energy. I instinctively followed when it might have been better to immediately wait for the peloton. Looking how the stage went, I recognised that it was a mistake. Well, because he rode very well in the end. Be- better than sitting on would have been to just sit up and go back to the bunch. Not, you know, what, what, why, what, you know, anyway. In the end, uh, Mader, uh, who was set up so brilliantly by Mohoric, rode away from Molima and Cataldo at the foot of the climb to the finish, um, which was quite a surprise because Molima's very good at winning from those kind of situations. But Mader rode very, very strongly. Um, didn't have a huge gap going up the climb. It was inside a minute for much of it, but held off the chasers behind. Danny Martinez had had a go. He was countered by his Ineos teammate, Egan Bernal. But there was a headwind up there and and there was a sort of bit of a stalemate as um, the GC riders battled up there. But there were splits. And in that um, front group just behind Mader, just 12 seconds behind on the line, were Bernal, Dan Martin, Remco Evenepoel and Giulio Ciccone. A really good ride by him to make it up there with those guys having been in that in that move, as he said. Behind them, Mark Soler, Hugh Carthy, Alexander Vlasov, Simon Yates, um, they were they lost about 15 seconds um, to their GC rivals. Attila Walter was there with them as well, and he took over the pink jersey. Roman Bardet lost another 10 seconds or so, paying for that effort, obviously. Uh, Joao Almeida rode pretty well today. Um, he was up there too, uh, but you know, it was a good day for, certainly for um, Bernal and Evenepoel of the real favourites. And overall now, Walter leads Evenepoel, Bernal and Vlasov. Still very close. Still, Rich, I'm just looking 22 riders within 2 minutes 17 of the pink jersey. 
Yeah, Nizzolo keeps the Chiclamino jersey of points leader and the King of the Mountains jersey, which was on the shoulders of Joe Dombrowski, moves on to today's stage winner, Gino Mader. Still guessing on fueling, not sure what or when to eat and drink, on rides that matter, never again. Optimize your fueling strategy with real-time glucose data, actionable insights, and personalized analytics. We're here to help you achieve your performance goals. Go to supersapiens.com for more on how to track your energy levels and fuel for success. The Cycling Podcast, powered by Super Sapiens. Well, to celebrate their partnership with the Cycling Podcast, Super Sapiens are offering three listeners the chance to win three months' supply of sensors, enabling them to optimize their fueling strategy with real-time glucose data, actionable insights, and personalized analytics. That's three months' worth of Abbott Libra sensor, biosensor patches, which offer that continuous glucose monitoring, which is absolutely key if you want to get fueling right. We've had a few entries already from uh, listeners um, telling us about how they would use Super Sapiens to help them achieve their cycling goals. Let's hear from one of them now. Uh, here's James. My name is James Botel. I'm a long-time cyclist who's always ridden his bike, starting at age 15 with paper rounds, and I'm now getting ready to tackle a bucket list event, the ride across Britain. It's a nine-day ride, each day being more than 100 miles. I've never tackled something as long and consistent as the ride across Britain. I've recently received diagnosis and support for my asthma. It's unlocked potential and performance I did not know I could reach. It's inspired me to see what other technology and advances might help. With the ride across Britain's long days and short recovery, it will require effective fueling during the event and recovery after, so I'm ready to tackle the next day. I'm excited to see what Super Sapiens could do for me and help me achieve my best. If that's not enough, my brother did well in the RAB 10 years ago, finishing top 30. So with my legs, heart, desire, and the fueling strategies prompted by Super Sapiens, I'm hoping to perform at my best, but more importantly, reclaim the family jersey with a better finish. So James wants to be able to monitor his glucose and improve his energy management in order to beat his brother's time in the ride across Britain. If you'd like to enter this competition with a fantastic prize, uh, wow us with your reason why you would need Super Sapiens, how would you, you would use it, how it would help you achieve your goal. Um, send it in either audio or video, no more than 60 seconds, please. All the information that you need to enter is on our website. Go to thecyclingpodcast.com and you may... A feature in an episode as well. Rich, what do you think the cross starter we had this morning would have done for our glucose levels? Yeah, we're not wearing our patches yet. We will be soon, but um, Italian breakfast. Well, I've set a terrible precedent, haven't I? Or, yeah. Um, yeah, unfortunately for our hosts, and we were at a fantastic place last night in Le Marche, just outside Yezi, called, I think it was called Le Maracla. Um, oh, a lovely place. Bed and breakfast. And I happened to, very late last night after dinner, and I felt terrible afterwards, and mention that every day on social media we're posting a panoramic picture to give an idea of where we are. And also the, the crostata at breakfast. I don't know why I thought this. I don't know whether we've just been unlucky, but I can remember every single hotel breakfast in Italy ever having featured a crostata, which I don't eat. I'm not really that fond of. But the last couple of days we haven't had any so I slipped in I happened to mention after dinner last night oh you know it'll be do you do you know will, will the big crostata at breakfast our poor host sort of scurried off to the kitchen and started rolling out pastry and when we got down to breakfast this morning there was a magnificent 
crostata. I think she got up very early this morning as well. It was very fresh, wasn't it? It was very fresh. I was, I I was sort of mortified when she I saw quite it. Tired when we saw it at breakfast. Anyway, Daniel, um, the stage. It was well. We'll hear from James Knox a bit later um, about how brutal it was out there today. I think you know, as we said earlier, the, the stories of the day are Gino Mader and Attila Walter. Attila Walter, of course, who we featured in our Giro last year, didn't we? You interviewed him then because we did an episode on the Hungarians. Well, without further ado, before we hear a bit more about about Attila, his story, where he comes from, where he might arrive in this Giro d'Italia, um, let's let's hear the rest of that interview I did with him this morning in the mix zone. When, as we said, he was very confident. Well, I tell you, you've got a lovely white jersey there. Um, in a, one corner of your head, have you thought about changing it to pink today? Yeah, of course. Not just one corner. Uh, I can say that's my main goal to, for today. It's not easy, but I think we, we have to set uh, high goals for, for a race to achieve something great. I know it's not easy to stay with the main group. It's not easy to, to keep within uh, 24 seconds for Vlasov or Remco. And also not easy to give one minute to to riders like uh, Alessandro De Marchi, who will also will fight uh, tooth and nails for the for the jersey. So I just do I will do my best, and and then we see. It's already I think a good achievement. And if the Maya Rosa is waiting uh, one more or two more years for me, that's that's also okay. I just here to enjoy and do my best. I guess you have a routine when you prepare the stages. I guess you you look at the road book, maybe Velo Viewer. Have you done anything different today? Has there been extra preparation because of, of that goal you have? There is no extra preparation. I think we we really well prepared for every day. The staff maybe did some extra preparation, extra feed zones, uh, we extra clothes in the top of the mountains, stuff like this. But uh, I think it's also important to to just try to live in the moment and not uh, always thinking about next stage, next stage, because in a three weeks race is always the next stage. So it's an extra stress on yourself. After yesterday, I just uh, focused on the eating and on the massage and everything like this. So now I will go to the bus, we will have the briefing and then then we will see what, uh, what today is holding. Having that jersey, the first Hungarian to wear, I think probably any prize jersey in a major tour. Um, how proud are you? Yeah, it's just a super, super feeling. Um, I think I got quite recognized in Hungary about with this result and it's a super feeling. Uh, yeah, I will do my best to keep it and make them even more proud. Uh, and I'm I'm just happy to, to have it as a first Hungarian, of course. So, Rich, uh, that was Attila sounding, as I said, very self-assured this morning. He was very self-assured in his press conference this afternoon, wasn't he? I mean, I said that he was very insightful about, as I mentioned earlier, the, the sort of power of, of speaking, um, uttering those words about going for the pink jersey. But generally, he's a, he's a confident young man, isn't he? Very assured um, and yeah, impressive really for a 22-year-old dedicated the pink jersey to his new team and his father, who he still trains with. He said every day. His dad, who was a who was a rider, a racer of some sort. I think a, a pro racer. I mean, Attila told me last year that the the scene in Hungary 20 or 30 years ago was sort of booming, unbeknownst to us in in Western Europe, because Hungarian riders have never really punched any kind of hole. There was one, Laszlo Bodrogi, who had a, a pretty decent career, but he was almost a, a sort of adopted Frenchman. I think his dad was a surgeon in Besançon and spent most of his life, or a lot of his life, in, in France. But Bodrogi was 
the benchmark. He has been the national idol in Hungarian cycling. And really, what Attila has achieved today, in a single day, um, I suppose surpasses Bodrogi's legacy. Greatest ever Hungarian cyclist, or the first one ever to lead a, a grand tour. And at 22, I mean, we, we've said that he is uh, he has all the kind of ingredients to be uh, a GC rider. And, uh, you know, he's at Groupama FTG, and He's he's he he, cu- he cuts quite a contrast to Thibaut Pino and David Godu in 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 a, I suppose having a certain confidence about him and self assurance and you know at the same time he admitted in the press conference that he um, has things he has to work on in, in in particular positioning in the bunch he says he struggles to hold his position in the bunch that won't be such a problem in the pink jersey yeah he grew up as a mountain biker that was his first love and his first idols were mountain bikers Nina Schurter and um, Julian Absalon so he's quite new to road racing I think he started road racing when he was about 17 and he was spotted really at the Tour of Slovakia in 2018, he finished third on a stage, quite a hilly stage, behind Julien Alaphilippe and Ben Hermans. And he was spotted by the CCC team who were competing, their continental team was competing, offered a, a contract for the following year. And then the next year moved up to the World Tour team. And straight away last year, when he went into that team, he sort of announced his intention. If everyone remembers that the Giro was supposed to start last year in Budapest and Attila grew up just outside Budapest and he said to the direct sportif look I want to do the Giro and of course that's quite uncommon for a near pro to do a grand tour but they looked at his numbers and they looked at how he performed in the first race of the season and he was on course for that last year um, he'd ridden the prologue course I mean as you would expect and um, being a, a local boy but um, it was a it was a a devastating blow for him when the Hungarian Grande Partenza fell through. He says he wants to do what Almeida did last year um, at the Giro and hold the pink jersey for as long as possible. It's certainly a, a, a bit of a boon for their team because, it, you know, on paper it looked like they hadn't come here with very many options, had they? Well, we remarked on it, didn't we, Rich, in the car, the sort of swing doors of opportunity um, and this applies to both Attila, Walter and Gino Maida today because neither of them would have been in the position they're in tonight um, had sort of plan A, their respective plans A worked because Gino Maida I guess you know had the freedom he did today because Mikel Lander crashed unfortunately yesterday and Attila Valta would I suppose have been working for Thibaut Pino ordinarily. Following up on the, the crash um, probably everybody saw more footage of that from the roadside last night I mean it was a, a really sickening to see the speed at which it happened there was a UAE rider in front of Joe Dombrowski who seemed to move at the last minute and Joe was actually the first uh, one to collide with the, the marshal. The marshal's apparently okay, uh, no broken bones, but took today off the race. I don't know if he will return. I did hear from Joe as well. Um, he's okay. He's obviously very disappointed, but he hopes to be um, back on his bike again very soon, and, and he hopes he'll be able to maybe ride the Dauphiné. Shall we hear from uh, our diarist, the man, one of the men of the day, Gino Mader? Gino here after stage six, another rainy one, cold, hard, 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 hard day. Yeah, I actually, I didn't know what, what you could expect when you win a stage. And I'm a little bit overwhelmed by <laughs> how many duties such a moment takes after. Yeah, first some interviews for different TV stations, then uh, having the podium ceremony 
which was a little bit longer than normally because I also took the KOM jersey, which is a really, really big honor for me to wear it in the stage tomorrow and hopefully some more stages after that. Yeah, I didn't have my phone until I I come back to the hotel, which was probably two, two and a half hours later. And I must say I'm really surprised and uh, a little bit shocked by how many people actually follow follow this sport and already texted me coming back to like 180 text messages on WhatsApp, a few notifications on different uh, social medias. The phone being hot ass just because I get I get a lot of messages from from people I wouldn't have thought they they do follow cycling or well they do not have to follow cycling but obviously they do get the information so it's a bit of a surprise actually for now I I'm just really really happy for the way we bounced back after the setback yesterday after the crash of Mikel and it's just awesome teamwork today and really a nice showing from everybody showing of heart showing of racing spirit and dedication towards a new goal i try to enjoy as much as possible and realizing what what's happening right now and probably going to bed with a really really big smile on my face enjoying the rest of the giro because we still have two weeks ahead of us The Cycling Podcast at the 2021 Giro d'Italia is supported by Science in Sport. Science in Sport, fueled by science. Thank you very much indeed to our sponsor, Science in Sport, for their continued support. Um, Scienceandsport.com is the place to go for all your sports nutrition. And if you enter the code SISCP25 at the checkout, It'll get you 25% off. That's a code for Cycling Podcast listeners. There's also a competition for Cycling Podcast listeners. Um, If you can predict the winner of Sunday's stage, which is in the Abruzzo Mountains, isn't it, Daniel? Yes. Then you can uh, be in with a chance of winning an £80 bundle of Science and Sport goodies. Predict the winner. um, To predict the winner, go to thecyclingpodcast.com and you can enter the competition through our website. Um, we'll be doing that every Sunday. Super Sunday. Super Sunday always is followed. Now it's tradition, it's time honoured by Super Savio. Gianni, after yesterday's radical 4-3-1 formation, modular, what, what are you going with today? Okay, today are 4-4. Four, four, because 4 are the riders, the climbers, that must go in breakaway. And uh, the other four are the riders that uh, can help the climbers to go in breakaway. And uh, maybe, maybe it's better 4 3 1. Like yesterday. Because, because one is uh, Filippo Tagliani. For Filippo Tagliani, he himself must choice if going breakaway or not, but going breakaway only for the sprint intermediate. And so he is first in the classment if he want, maybe, but not for the finish, because he is a sprinter. And today the sprinter is sure 100% that it is impossible to arrive. 
So your four climbers, Gianni, who are they? Cepeda? Yes. Sepulveda? Cepeda, Sepulveda, Natalino, <laughs> Natnael Tesfazian, and, and um, of course, Simone Ravanelli. And how is Tesfazian? We were excited about him after his performance in the Coppia Bartali. What's his condition like? Yes, uh, he have no experience. So we, we await him and uh, we don't put pressure and uh, we will see what happens. And Jenny, two days ago I had Cepeda in my pronostico, in my prediction for Sestola, but he didn't have a great day. What, what happened? It's the same, it's the same as uh, uh, Nadnael. Uh, he's a young rider and uh, so he have no the, the experience. I talk with him now uh, after the, the meeting uh, because uh, he race uh, not uh, in the first part of peloton. And uh, so I explain him and uh, not only him but uh, also, also uh, the others that uh, they must uh, ride, uh, they must ride compact and uh, not uh, in uh, uh, 100 position because uh, this is the problem of uh, Jefferson. Cattivi e determinati. Cattivi e determinati, not only cattivi e determinati. Cattivi, determinati. Which means, sort of, which means bad, bad and determined, but you know, bad sort of gritted teeth. And, and concentrati concentrati uh, to pay attention to pay attention just uh, at the beginning of the stage well that was a very chipper Gianni Savio this morning um, no bomber for him um, really this year um, no bomber yesterday was there no bomber today um, but his team well they gave a reasonable account of themselves again Gianni um, has got a bit of a spring in his deck step he's looking particularly bushy-tailed at the moment because he told me and there's there's uh, negotiations going on with a prospective sponsor that could propel his team in to the next level he told it me it wouldn't mean that they were just reliant on one sponsor would it <laughs> that would be a terrible shame we should say it's lovely to hear Gianni Savio he is a mainstay of our Giro coverage but another mainstay is Ciro Scognamilio and we haven't been able to get Ciro on yet because he's so busy and we're rarely in the same place at the same time, but we're working on it. We see him passing, running past, but hopefully get Chiro on soon. Maybe it'll be easier on the phone. Maybe we should just phone him up, but hopefully we will. How's your pecorino, Rich? Pecorino, not, we haven't got any cheese on the on the table. We've got a white wine. Was that the pecorino it's the, wine? It's a pecorino. That is which an, so-called because yeah. if um, you've listened to the, yeah, the, wine, podcast, the wine podcast oh, with Greg Andrews of Divine yeah, Wine. I knew, I knew this. I knew this. But I forgot the bunches of grapes are kind of very well. They're very opulent, and they sort of look like the fur of a, you know, of a very well endowed, very hirsute sheep. Yeah, I remember now. I remember now your conversation on this. Can people still get the wine from they Divine Cellars? They can. Collection? And they can still listen to the podcast. All the information is there. Um, yeah, our wine podcast released on the eve of the Giro. Daniel in conversation with. Greg Andrews of Divine Sellers. Well, listen, we heard, I saw a very amusing comment on our uh, Facebook uh, chat group today, I think it's called chat group, from Jim Cotton. 
Every time the coverage cuts to Deconic Quickstep Riders on this filthy stage, I just hear James Knox's frozen, haunted voice. Well, shall we hear James Knox's frozen, haunted voice now? Here we are, still on the bus. Another day, frozen to the core of the Giro. Came a bit out of nowhere, to be honest. Forecast seemed okay. Chance of showers is what it said. I mean, I was defensive enough to start with a, a rain cape in the back pocket, um, but most people were in shorts, shorts and jersey at the start. But yeah, then we just rode into this black mess of a, uh, you could just see it come in, got my cape on, started lashing it down. And it was all right, lashing it down on the flat, getting to the climb, and then it cleared up a bit on the climb. It's actually a climb we did in Torino last year, and I was fortunate enough to know it and make sure Remco stayed with me and try and be up front on those little weird little plateau bits, crosswind bit where um, kind of put the hammer down. Uh, we had a bit of a bit of a mess after that because Remco tried to get a, a cape on and some of the lads stayed with him. I didn't know they'd stopped or slowed down even. And then, yeah, trying to keep him in position for the long descent. But um, holy shit, thankfully I'm nice and toasty now. I've been in the shower for enough time and got my, all my hot clothes on. But uh, yeah, I was absolutely freezing i was dropped a little bit just over the top but got straight back in with uh Mikkel. teeth were chattering did the occasional wail and little scream just venting laying off some steam but it was horrible it was really horrible and then we did that long valley just again still chucking it down i'll be honest i had a pretty bad gut feeling me and uh, me and Mikkel were trying to take care of remco trying to gym up trying to get him on the wheel get him drinking eating anything but yeah he looked he looked pretty bad to be honest he looked as cold as i felt so i'll be honest pretty proud of him today for doing what he did after all that because it's not easy i certainly had nothing left in the tank i got the last climb but i got him some gels first and got the last climb and took some jackets and just parked up did a full strip off and changed clothing and rode up and that kind of saved my day taking on some extra food and liquids but yeah i was uh, i was i was absolutely wasted to be honest good like hour and a half there frozen looking around I had a bit of a laugh with the ds about it because it came back to the car and just looked at me and i was just yeah like death but yeah bit of an epic day to be honest i'm curious to see how everyone pulls up from these you know it, it takes a lot out of the the gc guys there going deep in uh, miserable conditions you might not know it now but maybe in uh 10 days maybe when some guys start getting ill some guys start dropping out some guys start mysteriously just getting no legs you know maybe these uh hard cold wet miserable days maybe that's why we'll pay for it take care of everyone we had some hot soup waiting back at the bus everyone huddled in the shower together just like a couple of days ago cramming four in a little two block cubicle just to get warm but yeah these days there's no real escaping it to be honest you know once you I think it was like six degrees on the top of the climb six degrees and pissing rains never nice is it so yeah happy that one's over praying for some better weather what i would say was a big potential uh slip up there passed with uh you know, flying colours into second now. Uh, chapeau to Matilla Altair, young lad taking the pink jersey. Pretty special for him. Well deserved as well. I think rode his heart out today as well to limit his losses. But uh, yeah, I think we're, we're sitting pretty, aren't we? Um, obviously Ineos took the race on today, but didn't really make a big difference. Me and Mikkel did a bit of a job. Been around Remco for, yeah, the climbs before on the valley, but then Joao and Masnada did a, also did a sensational job hanging with him, doing some burners on the on the last climb. So I think we're all very pleased with that. Um, certainly, certainly saved my day. I think if we'd come across the line and find out we'd lost hemorrhage some time, then yeah, it would be a real miserable day to be in the bus, stuck in traffic, trying to get to Pescara or wherever we're going. But in the end, we can be uh, dead proud of that. Yeah, dead chuffed. Um, long way to go, obviously. We learned that the hard way last year. So 
about staying calm, saving energy, taking it a day at the time, as they always say. Just happy to be warm and dry now. James Knox, a, a difficult day for him, uh, a freezing cold day for everybody, um, but a pretty good day, as he said, for his team. I mean, Joao Almeida looked, looked better today. Fausto Masnada uh, did a pretty good job at one point as well. And ultimately, Remco Evenepoel, in his first Grand Tour, Looked pretty comfortable. Do you know what? It made me think of something we heard from Beppe Martinelli, the Astana Direct Sportive yesterday. In fact, in relation to De Koenig Quickstep and the, the fact that they'd been relatively passive so far, he said that, well, it, it might seem like it's too early at the moment to you know go on the attack, but too early quickly becomes too late. Now, I think in relation to Remco Evenepoel, if people don't, if other teams don't sort of chop his legs off now, they might regret he it. He could do a Pogacar. Well, they might regret it because I think, you know, a guy who's had no racing, I think he, he's going to get better. The weather's going to get better. And if if this is Remco now, then we could have another Remco in, in a week's he's time. He's never raced over... 10 days so the great unknown for him and for everybody else is how he will cope with that and I guess that I, I, I'm not I don't know if that's an issue though because if you're good you know we, we heard the other day in the, the, the episode we released about Remco Evenepoel Kilometer Zero episode on Wednesday um, you know Pogacar finished third in his first Grand Tour of the Vuelta when he was younger than Evenepoel is now and he got better as the race went on, and his best performance was on the penultimate day. If you're good, you're good. And Evenepoel has proven that he's very good. And I, I don't think riding for three weeks... I mean, these guys all train as hard as they race really now. He will know what he's capable of over three weeks, even though he's not raced over three weeks before. I still think he's going to get better. Um, does the same apply to Simon Yates? Question marks tonight over Simon Yates. Is he doing a reverse 2018? The, the Tour of the Alps, when he was so dominant really um, started on the 19th of april finished on the 23rd of april it's now the 13th of may um this race finishes on the 30th of may i think it's too early to draw conclusions the climbs thus far haven't been hard enough for us to draw any firm conclusions about yates but there would be there would be just a slight hint of soup song of concern if I was um, if I was maybe he doesn't have that Matt zip. White. He had this zip in his legs through the Alps, and he doesn't seem to have that here. It was a tough day for Hugh Carthy as well after looking so good the other day. The weather might have be a factor. Carthy looked really cold at one point today. Dan Martin had a really good day today. You know, he moved up ten places overall, um, and he looked strong. Um, but yeah, Bernal is in perhaps in the Roglic role with Evnepol in the in the Pogacar role, maybe at this Giro. Well, Rich, just drinking in the scene here. It's a beautiful scene, isn't it? We're looking out towards the drinking Witch Mountains, the Pecorino, Abruzzo Mountains, the, the, the Apennines, the Abruzzo, the Gran Sasso d'Italia over there. All of that, all of them covered in snow. Today we started off our journey. Um, I mentioned where we stayed last night in Yezi. The Marche, we mentioned it yesterday. It's a beautiful region, not least because the views are very kind of clear and unobstructed and there's not a lot of sort of forest cover um, of the hill so you can you can tend to see a long way it's also a relatively windy area of Italy I said yesterday there was not much wind in Italy there isn't much wind in Italy but um, in Le Marche you don't get the humidity that you get in the the Po basin um, in the north and consequently you get these very very clear days and you can see a long way and you can see the mountains the Apennines we could see this morning a mountain called the Monte San Vicino which sort of looms over that part of Le Marche 
and I was just reading about this morning, there was a, as a cracking local proverb um, to do with the Monte San Vicino. If San Vicino puts its hat on, sell the goat and buy the coat. If San Vicino puts its pants on, sell the coat and buy the goat. Now, Rich, I you don't seem very engaged with this. Um, I did some reading on this. And it was coined by local farmers, um, basically meaning that if the, the first snowfall of the year is heavy and it goes all the way down to the bottom of the mountain, then it's not going to be a bad winter and you can sell your coat and you can buy a goat. If, however, it's the, the first snow covering only covers the top of the mountain, so it's a light snowfall, then you're in trouble. Then you need to sell the goat and buy a coat. But this is the kind of thing we pick up. This is the kind of thing we absorb along the way, isn't it? And I think everyone, oh, I thought... Speak for yourself. I thought that everyone was absorbing this kind of local <laughs> colour and the geography and the sights and sounds of Italy. Apparently not, because yesterday, after his victory, um, Caleb Ewan mentioned... Confessed well, he didn't even know he his confessed country he didn't. He didn't <laughs> really have a, a clear memory of his previous stage wins in Italy or where they were. And um, yeah, I confronted him this morning... Geography um, teacher. <laughs> ...about precisely this. I was just curious about something you said in the press conference yesterday about your relationship with geography. Do you think that you're particularly bad at that in terms of not knowing where your wins were and not being able to remember the place names? Yeah, I'm uh, I'm pretty bad with that. I actually got a, a message from a journalist this morning saying that uh, the last person to win in that region was actually me a few years ago, like two years ago. So uh, I didn't even realise that. But Is that all? Pardon? In Pesaro, I think. Yeah, I think something like that. Yeah, I don't know. It was on the coast somewhere. So, uh, yeah, I'm pretty bad at geography. Sometimes I even get to the airport and I'm like, shit, like I actually don't know what city I'm flying to right now. Is it a bit of a regret, you know, with your job? I mean, it's the same for all you guys. You can't really take much in. Or do you, do you at least try to keep mental notes? Um, Miguel Indurain used to have a little book that he would write places that he wanted to return to when he retired. Yeah, I think, like, to be honest, everything kind of blends into one. You know, of course, like, we go through some really, you know, really stunning places. And, but, yeah, at the end of the day, we don't really have time to, to look around and enjoy it. We're, we're here to race. And basically, you know, when we're, in a, when we're in a place, we, like, get onto the bus, come to the start like this, race, get back on the bus, go to the hotel. So it's just, like, the same thing every day. But yeah, just uh, you're not eating the local food, or you know, it's, you, you've got a cook that prepares your food. So that's another thing. Exactly, you know, like all our all our food, no matter where we are, really, when we have a chef, it stays the same. Um, so yeah, we're not we're not enjoying the the local food, and it's definitely by no means a holiday. Finally, you won in Novi Ligure. Do you know which part of Italy that is? Could you point to it? No, Alberobello. I don't even know where we are now. Like, show me a map of Italy. I don't know where we are. I know we're on the coast. Maybe not anymore. I knew we were on the coast yesterday because I could see the see the water, but I'll, I'll let you go and continue your ride around Italy. Maybe tomorrow I'll bring you a map. Thank you. Poor old Caleb Ewan. I mean, as if he didn't have a, a tough mountain stage. That was literally two that, weather. They were the last team to sign on. That was literally <laughs> 90 seconds him. before the flag went down. It was almost as bad as um, in the press conference, poor old Gino Mader. Um, the first Gino to win a stage at the Giro since Gino Bartoli. Being asked what he knew about Gino Bartoli. He, he dealt with the question pretty well. Response. Hinted that his name might even, he might even have been named after uh, Gino Bartoli because his parents are both cyclists. But 
I don't think at 24, I could have said anything no, about No, but I think, I think there is a bit of it in terms of awareness of surroundings and interesting surroundings, sensibilities. Um, I think there is a quite a broad spectrum. You go from maybe... Tom Dumoulin is someone who uh, I know he nice kind of makes link, well he makes mental notes of places he's been he's also been on holiday subsequently with his girlfriend um, or wife now he's, after he's, Grand Tours yeah, he's the opposite I did that interview with him last year when I asked him whether I said you're interested in Italy aren't you and, and history and he said I'm, I love history yeah I said cycling history and he said no no but history, general history, yeah. I've always thought about riders who have famous success in certain locations, and I've always kind of had this very romantic image um, of perhaps them wanting to sort of wistfully one day returning to that location when it's deserted and 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 just experiencing it or trying to sort of relive um, what they experienced in that place. I mean, I remember a conversation with Mark Cavendish a couple of years ago about Milan San Remo and, of course, a, a sort of career-defining win for him that was in 2009. And I said, have you ever, have you ever spent any time in San Remo afterwards? And he said, no, he said, I've never been, you know, apart from finishing the race, I've never, I know one thing about it. I know it's got a music festival and that's it, which I thought was kind of sad, but it says a lot about the, the existence these guys lead. But I, I like the idea of Indurain keeping a little notebook and just noting down um, little spots and then maybe incognito I bet, I bet years later. Does that? Yeah, I bet yeah. he keeps a note. Maybe we'll ask some. We'll ask some other people in the next few days. He certainly. When we were in the Vuelta a couple of years ago, um, what was the city where we in? And his wife had been at university there briefly, and uh, he had uh, we had a rest day there, and he'd gone around um, some of the shops on a on a, on one of the the trek bikes, um, not his racing bike, and really sort of taken in some of the sites. I remember Tom de Moulin Jerusalem as well doing a little tour in Jerusalem when the Giro started there on his bike. I remember Oscar Freire went back to Verona after winning the Worlds there in 1999 with his girlfriend. A slightly perverse, completely sort of opposite kind of experience. Stefano Lowe lost the yellow jersey or he abandoned the Tour de France in the yellow jersey in 1996 on top of the Corme de Roseland climb. That winter he went there on holiday to try and exercise the ghost. Did it work? I'm not sure. Well, listen, we've spoke, we've mentioned Tom de Moulin. The other big news today from away from the Giro was the news that de Moulin is about to return to racing at Tour Switzerland. When he announced that he was uh, taking a step back after being interviewed by me in January, <laughs> literally his next move was to announce that he was stopping for a while. He, I think it, some people suspected and feared that we might not see him on a racing bike again. Certainly not this year, but I suspect the, the lure of the Tokyo Olympics is pretty significant in this and um, that I think will be his his main goal for the year the time trial there and he's returning to racing with Jumbo Visma at the Tour of Switzerland which is is great news I think and uh, well you spoke to um, George Bennett um, his teammate at Jumbo Visma who's riding the Giro I'm Didn't talking, have a very good talking day earlier about the big losers I mean he He's been the big loser so far of, of the GC contenders. He had another bad day today. And Addy Engels, the sports director, um, one of them surprised and one of them not surprised at all at De Moulin's return. Um, some news overnight. Tom has decided to come back. Um, we're a bit surprised, to be honest. Are you? Uh, not not really. I think he just needed time away to get his get his head right and, and refine the love of it. And it, it sounds like he's done that, you know. Um, so, yeah, I think everyone's pretty excited that he's coming back and, and everyone's pretty happy about it. Have you had any contact with him over the last three or four months or a couple of months? Yeah, yeah, I had a, the odd message, uh, you know, early on and, and 
you know, it wasn't that he didn't want to contact with the team or he didn't want to hear from anybody or anything like that. He was, he was, you know, he was still wanted to be part of the boys. He just needed to sort of do his own thing. And, and uh, in the end, it's not like he's going to miss so much. You know, he'll be, already be back racing pretty soon. And um, I don't know if they've talked about his schedule yet, but um, yeah, he'll be he'll be in and around the team a lot. So. He's a, a glutton for punishment. He wanted more physical pain in his life. Yeah, I mean, it's a strange thing. Like, I think physical pain teaches you a lot and, and sort of keeps you modest, you know, keeps you humble. And <laughs> I don't know, maybe maybe it's something we're all going to miss. You see a lot of pro cyclists, they still go for runs and they still do all that stuff. So I think it'd be a hard thing to give up. Addy, we were a bit surprised to hear the news about Tom Dumoulin. Um, were you and was the rest of the team? Yes, a little bit. If, if you looked at the decision as, as, a, as a whole, I don't think, uh, yeah, any decision would be would be a realistic one. The decision to continue, of course, would be realistic, but also the decision to quit, an another decision. When the news came, I think it was yesterday for us, or before yesterday, one of the two, I don't know. Then I thought, okay, of, of course, a, ha a happy a happy surprise, and also happy that it's going to be soon already that he's going to rejoin, uh, only one week after the Giro, when we started uh, Tour de Suisse. I don't know if you know what's behind it, I don't know if you've spoken to him, but I mean, what do you, th do you think it might be boredom <laughs> or do you think that I Tom mean, realizes he's a great talent and he has to, it's almost, um, he, he's almost duty bound when he's as talented as he is to, to show and use and exploit that talent. Yeah, like, like you said, I was, I was not in the process what, uh, yeah, from the moment he stepped aside uh, until now. So I don't know what in the end made him, made him realize to, uh, to take this decision. And I'm also not going to guess what uh, what it might have been. Just happy to uh, to be seeing him again soon. George Bennett, not surprised. Adi Engels, surprised at Dumoulin's return. But uh, yeah, it's great news. Um, I'm sure everybody's who follows cycling is happy to hear that he's coming back and giving it another go. Um, no real suggestion for what his long-term plans are at the moment. Um, but yeah, he'll be back in Switzerland. I also spoke this morning, Daniel, to Alex Dowsett, um, who is a teammate, of course, of Alessandro De Marchi. I thought De Marchi was going to keep the jersey, and I thought there was good omen as well, because we were starting in Le Marche and De Marchi, but then I subsequently found out that the etymology of the two things is different, it diverges. Um, De Marchi... That's, that obviously explains why we were able to <laughs> De Marchi keep the comes jersey. From, uh, comes from um, Mars, the Greek god Mars? Of, the Greek god of war. Oh, sorry, I thought you were saying De Marchi I think the Greek Mars. god of war got something wrong about mythology the other day. I hope I haven't again. And Le Marche, the marches, I did, did you know the meaning of marches in English? I didn't. It means kind of the edges, the fringes, and apparently... I, I, yeah, I, th I thought it meant marshes, but... No, apparently it's like the, the borders of the fringes, and it refers to the position of the Le Marche in um, Charles the Great's empire. Well, well, well. There you, go. you can tell Caleb you and all that tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> Continues. You're, you're confronting him with a map of Italy tomorrow, aren't you? <laughs> anyway, um, I spoke to Alex Dowsett. Uh, he won a stage at the Giro last year, of course, and with that earned himself a new two-year contract with Israel's startup nation. Um, he didn't know Alessandro De Marchi before this year, but he's sharing a room with him here at the Giro. So I asked him what it's been like um, being in the same team and defending the pink jersey. You had uh, well, you had a day now. Um, what, what's, what, what was it like? Yeah, it's pretty cool. It's very cool, in fact. It's, uh, I mean, firstly, it's just really nice for Alessandro because it's. I'm rooming with him. You can see how much it means to him. 
it's, it's just nice to see it, it kind of yeah he got back to his got back to his phone there's 750 messages and yeah it's just huge for an Italian and, and yesterday everyone cheering his name on the side of the road it's uh, and to have a stage like yesterday for where for kind of at least half of it it was a very very easy day um, no, I'm very happy for him yeah, I guess you've been in teams where the, the, the goal has been to win the, the Grand Tour. This is a bit different with him, isn't it? It's, it's come as a, maybe a bit of a bonus. And you, I think we've all been left with the impression that it really means a lot to him just to, to wear it. Yeah, I mean, he's a fighter. He always has been. I, it's quite funny. Demarke is someone I've raced with him all, uh, all my career, all our career, and, and never spoken to him, never had anything to do with him. I never liked him on the basis that the days where he was dishing out the hurt were the days that I was really hurting. So I'd often hold him personally responsible for that. And then the yeah, next minute I'm rooming with him and in the same team and actually realizing that uh, my opinion of him was very wrong. Um, just based off of the way that the way that he races compared with the way I race and how different horses suit us but he's, he's someone that's clearly like fought all his career um, countless breakaways countless efforts and, and it's nice to see sort of the fruits of his labor paying off in, in such a spectacular way really pink, pink jersey and the Giro means I think more to than a Frenchman wearing a yellow jersey of the tour they're, they're so passionate Alex Dowsett there on his teammate Alessandro De Marchi. Of course, Dan Martin's right in there. He's right in the mix. Well, he, he had a very good day, didn't he? And he is he is looking pretty good. Oh, Disco Dan. Disco Dan up to ninth overall, but just 47 seconds down. It's all very close, isn't it? I think Vlasov's still a danger. A bit surprised that he wasn't up there. Uh, Louis Vervec is also riding extremely well for Alps and Phoenix. And tomorrow, Rich, flat stage. Nothing much is going to happen. Which region are we going to tomorrow? We're going to finish in Foggia. Where's Foggia? Oh. It's in Puglia. Puglia! I was going to say and that. And that is the southernmost point. We some very enjoyable uh, stay in Puglia at the Giro last year, didn't we? Was it last year? Yes, we did. Um, and that is the southernmost point of this year's Giro. Thereafter, we start to wind up through the Apennines. And there are two hilly stages in a row. Sundays is very hilly, isn't it? It's very, very up and down. That stage starts in Castel di Sangro, which is a place that will mean something to some of you out there who might have read one of the one of the strangest but greatest sports books ever written, The Miracle of Castel di Sangro. And that is the subject of tomorrow's Kilometre Zero. Uh, I've interviewed the author's widow. Whether you've read that book or not, I hope you enjoy that episode. Kilometre Zero is supported also by Super Sapiens, so thanks very much to them. I thought tomorrow's Kilometre Zero was the towns and cities of of southern Italy with, with Caleb, Caleb Ewan. Ewan. <laughs> That'd be a short episode, wouldn't it? Yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, we'll be back tomorrow evening as well, uh, talking about the stage and uh, bringing you all the latest from the Giro. Thanks very much, Daniel. Let's go and eat. Thank you. Thank you.